اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم یا ایوہ الذین آمنوا اتقوا اللہ والتنظر نفس ما قدمت لغد واتقوا اللہ ان اللہ خبیر بما تعملون Chapter 59 verse 19 Allah Almighty says O ye who believe Fear Allah And let every soul look To what it sends forth for the morrow And fear Allah Verily Allah is well aware of what you do There is a very important book I would say for anybody Who is treading this path of Reformation and spirituality The book is called How to, free, how to be free from sin is of course by the promised Messiah alayhi salam. And in this book, there's a long lengthy discussion about how to identify sin, how to free yourself from it. But one unique thing that the promised Messiah alayhi salam speaks about is the idea of what religion is defined as today. And I've tested this out by sharing it with uh, you know, non-Ahmadi, non-Muslims, uh, Christians. And I've said, look, what do you define religion as? And they'll give you a long lengthy explanation about religion connection to God and so many things. But then I gave them the interpretation or the brief explanation that the promised Messiah gave, which is to love two things, to love God and to love His creation, right? to love humanity. If you embody both of these two things, then automatically you are fulfilling your responsibilities in terms of what we know as religion or faith. And again, what's interesting, if we get deeper, one of the speeches at Jalsa Salana West Coast also had this uh, depiction, which is, there's a word in the Holy Quran, insan. We all have heard of it many times, we say it in Urdu as well, insan. But again, the Promised Messiah delves deeper into it. He said, insan can be taken from the root uns, which means to love. Insan would mean to love two things. Therefore, just by Allah Almighty calling us an insan, he has given us a goal. What is our goal? Our goal is to love two things. Then we are insan. Then we are real human beings. Otherwise, we are nothing different than animals. What are those two things? The very definition of religion. To love God and to love His creation or humanity. So keeping these two things in mind, the Promised Messiah Islam delves deeper in this book, How to Be Free from Sin. What does he say? He says that if you look at the Christian world today, you will notice that they have a great love for humanity, the creation of God. They have a great love for it. But they lack the love for God. He said, look at their love for creation and humanity. He said they have all kinds of aids, like they, you know, aid services that they give. They have civic services and welfare. They will go to different countries. They will provide aid. They would do everything you can possibly imagine to help another human being. They have all kinds of programs, already structured into their lives. It is as if it's instinct for them. He said, but look at their love for God. They, they don't pray. If they pray, maybe once a week, if at, if at that. They make jokes about God as if it's nothing. They've created a human being and made him into a God. They have done everything under the sun that shows they have no love for the true essence of what God is. He said, that is why Allah sent me as the promised Messiah to teach the Christian world what it means to love God. Very powerful way of explaining it. He said, but look at the Muslims for a moment. He said, what do the Muslims have? Again, they have these two things. He said, if you look at the Muslims today, they have an 
innate love for God. They pray five times a day. They do wuzu. They do everything you can possibly imagine. They say the kalima. They're at the mosque regularly. They do Eid and Hajj and Jummah. You name it. Everything that they feel can be to respect and love and honor God, they uphold it. But they have no sense of love for humanity. They have become so savage in that world that even if they see a dead person on the street or somebody who's dying, they will not bother to help him. They see somebody who's being molested or something of that sort, they will just walk right past him. They have become so savage, they will see an entire village be destroyed and not feel any pain in their hearts. He said, that's why Allah sent me as the promised Messiah. To teach them the love of humanity. In a very beautiful way, the Prophet ﷺ explained his purpose in both worlds. And as we live here in the Christian world, it's very easy for us to notice this. And sometimes we even envy it. Look at how these Christians love humanity so much. We forget that, yeah, they have that quality. This is from Allah. What are they lacking? We should identify that just the same. Help them with what they're lacking. And much as this side of the world needs the promise himself. Now why I'm mentioning that is because I've wanted to relate all of this, this kind of precursor to today's basic dars, which is from a Friday sermon by, delivered by beloved Hazur on, uh, in 2013. And in this, he talks about short-term gains and long-term gains. Now why I'm mentioning that is because let's take this element of helping humanity for just a quick moment. Because it's easier to understand. Loving Allah is something we have to work on, but it's very easy to understand this element of helping humanity. If I were to help somebody, let's say somebody sitting right in front of me, and I will give them a glass of water, I'm very likely to get some benefit, some short-term gain by giving him a glass of water. In fact, the quicker the gain I receive, the smaller that help will be. You know they say, teach a man or feed a man a fish for a day, or teach him how to fish for a lifetime. The short-term gain is I give him some fish. He eats today, he's happy. He will give me all kinds of thanks and gratefulness. But the long-term gain would be now I have to sit there and I have to teach him, spend days and weeks and months, and finally he's mastered it. Then years go by, he's feeding himself, and then one day he'll remember, oh yeah, I learned how to fish from so-and-so. So usually the short-term gain is a very smaller, minute element of help. The same applies with regards to God. If we think that we will go and we will pray today and somehow Allah will respond immediately. And sometimes we do, we get that dream. Sometimes we get that vision. Sometimes we get that peace of heart and peace of mind. But remember that was a much smaller and more minuscule effort. And so it is those long term, again there's a Sufi who prayed for 40 years. We know this already. Every day he would pray and there was a student who joined him one, one year or one day. And this is 40 years later of him praying. He would pray every day that oh Allah forgive me my sins and so many other things he would ask. And one day that student of his kind of snuck in to see what is this in his praying? What is Allah's response? And he hears Allah respond that I deny your request. I will not accept your prayer. And so the student gets shaken. Why would I be a student of a person who gets his prayers denied by God? There's... Again, he's thinking of the short-term gain. He said, why on earth would I stay with this man? So he confronted the saint. He said, Allah responded to you last night that you have been denied. Why should I stay as your student? And he very beautifully mentioned. He said, you heard it one night? I've been listening to this for 40 nights. 
the, oh, sorry, 40 years. The point is that I will continue to ask Allah, it is his job whether he accepts or not. And because of this statement he made, that night Allah Almighty said, I accept every prayer you've made for the last 40 years. Again, short term, long term. And this is what beloved Hazur spoke. In fact, he said, in this day and age, deeds and practices that we have in this world, think of it as if you are riding a galloping horse. This world is like a horse. It's moving, it's chasing, it's going after something and you're riding it. Now you have one option or two options. You can either try to control the horse as much as you possibly can. Or at the least, you can hold firmly to it. Trying to make sure you don't slip and fall. That is exactly how our deeds have to be as we're passing through on top of this, this galloping horse of this world. We have to constantly monitor what we're doing and how we're doing it. And one element, beloved Hazur says, is that in order for us to be successful in our deeds, we have to define our boundaries and limits. We have, we have to. What are our boundaries? What are our limits? What are they? Let's define them. So that we know what place we're going to go to and stop before we cross it and cross over to a danger zone. He says we need to invest time, energy and effort to strengthen our faith. So just as much as this world is pulling us away, our effort has to be double that to pull ourselves back towards faith. Because whether or not you like it, there are subconscious pulls, influences, constantly pulling us away from the long-term benefit and more sufficing our short-term benefit. And there's all kinds of studies and we can get deep into it, but I'll share a few examples. And again he says, bring our deeds and practices in line with our creed. What do we believe? What is our essence in our faith? Let's bring it there. So he says again, focusing on short-term gains and forgetting about the hereafter is what he wants us to keep reminding ourselves of one of those deficiency that is brought about by this current culture that we live in. And this is not just the Western culture, I mean the world right now. Whether I'm in the East or the West, the world today has this great pull towards reminding us that we need a short-term gain as opposed to a long-term gain. There's all kinds of chemicals in your head that get wired as you give yourself that short-term gain. All of these tech devices and whatnot are all designed to do that. You're designed to have these likes and these plus signs and these hearts and this constant changing of movement and scrolling through in order to give you that short-term benefit. Um, for example, we have these iPhones that come out. Again, a new one. I think new Samsung is coming out in the next month or so. It's going to encourage you, convince you that what you have is insufficient to what the new device is. Convincing you, you need the new one in order for you to have that pleasure in life. But realistically, is it benefiting a short-term goal or a long-term one? Even hanging with our friends. Beloved Hazur mentioned this many times. He says, sometimes we're hanging out with our friends, it's getting late, and we say, okay, we'll keep hanging out. As opposed to saying, let's call it a night, I gotta wake up early tomorrow morning. Prayer, work, whatever it may be. So sometimes we, in the moment, we choose a short-term benefit and we forget about the long-term. He gave, Beloved Hazur himself gave example. He said profit margins, margins for example, are short-term benefits. There was a jeweler who used to mix his pure gold with other materials to increase his profit margin. Now, you and I know in this world of business, and many of you are in this field already, that you can trick a customer today, but you will likely lose that customer in the long term, right? 
And so the benefit, the, the goal is to make him so satisfied and happy that he comes back. Because a long-term customer is far more effective than a short-term one because you'll lose your business in the end. And a lot of these car companies kind of remodel themselves based on that. Toyota, for example, is a car that will last pretty much forever, 300,000 miles. But they make it good, they make it sturdy, and they convince you to buy it. But then they'll have another way of convincing you to buy another one. But they've kept you as a good customer. The entire time you've had the car, you had a good experience. You had no issue with it. And that's why you'll buy another one, and another one, and another one. Whereas if you buy another car, I won't say any car company's names, but if you buy other cars, um, you'll find that very shortly after 100,000 miles, it starts giving up. Now you've been, you know, you've probably, that company has probably benefited from your purchase. But will they get that customer to come back? No. So we've learned this even in our own world today, that co corporations know what the long-term game is, this marathon. They're working on the marathon. They're making sure they grab you for the long term. But sometimes we ourselves keep our focus on the short term benefits. And that is why we're in this rat race. We're constantly going back and forth. And there's a lot of examples, right? There's an example of piracy. Sometimes people will download music and movies. It used to happen more often in the past, but not anymore. But like, for example, there may be an international game or something that costs money, some subscription. They'll find a link online to watch it for free. Another example could be cheating on an exam, you know, getting help from your friend. Or even in university nowadays, you know, people will go and, and they'll prep for the exam just day before, procrastinate, make sure they do it the day before, quickly prep whatever they can and take the exam. Forgetting that passing the exam is not going to make you the best person that you're going to be, whether, whether it's a doctor or a lawyer, whatever it is. You can't cram for that in the last minute. In fact, you have to learn it for the sake of learning, for the sake of knowing it and mastering that art. And if you don't, then you're just subpar in terms of your field. And Beloved Azur mentions that all of this, all these examples, they have an effect on your soul. And we've had this conversation quite a few times already. Everything we do has an effect on your soul. There is a negative and a positive energy that you give to your soul. And so every time we make a choice, we make a decision, we can either be blindsided and just make it without thinking. Right? We make a decision, we, 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 we go and decide to watch a movie really late at night. It's a decision we thought of, it's fine, no big deal. But that has an effect on your soul. When you wake up in the morning and you're tired and sluggish, and you spend the whole day, it has an effect on your soul. Whereas when you sleep early, and you wake up early for tahajjad, you spend that morning alone in a, dark, you know, in a dark room, just you and Allah, pouring your heart out, well that's a very different experience on your heart and your body and your soul. It has a very different impact. And so these are the different steps that we take in everything we do. In fact, the Prophet Islam was so explicit about this that everything you do, even if you backbite, it may seem very harmless, it may seem like a social exercise. You call a friend and relative and the first thing you do is, oh, let's talk about that person, right? That may be a very you know, instinctual habit. He said it has an effect on your soul. And it can really bring your soul down. And if you all recall, the Prophet Islam was... We're so blessed that he was able to guide us on a depiction of what the next life would look like. What it'll look like when we stand before Allah Almighty on the Day of Judgment. And he explains, he says, it is as if all of us have a white cloth. We'll be wearing all white. But every sin, everything we did that affected our soul will appear on this white cloth like a stain. And there will be some who will have so many stains, it will appear as if the cloth is all black. 
It has been so, so filthy as a result of our actions and our deeds. And this, again, I've explained this a hundred times, just like the choices we make in this physical world affect our body, the same happens to our soul. What we eat and drink, whether we exercise or don't exercise, whether we walk, we don't walk, all of those have an effect on our body. The same happens to our soul. So your body may look very healthy and, 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 and fit, but the question always is, and this is what beloved Hazur keeps asking us, is our spiritual body fit? Is it also going to have a six pack? Or is it going to look vastly different compared to what our physical body is? Beloved Hazur also explained, he said, look, people commit sins to gain worldly benefits. He gave many examples. One of them again was backbiting. He said there's sometimes one is mistreated by his superior officer, but to take a revenge, he could be tempted to engage in backbiting, gossip about the superior officer to his other boss, to a bigger boss, overstating his negative points and shortcomings. He said here, the appeal of a short-term gain tempts one to commit the heinous sin of backbiting. This is again a constant reoccurring effect. We see this all the time. We get hurt, our pride gets affected. We try to take revenge and we don't think it's revenge at the time. We don't think our pride has been affected. But we are all responding to all of these instances and in fact increasing our own self-worth. Even though that worth, remember respect only comes from Allah. Disrespect also, this idea that I'm going to have more izzat. You know, in Urdu, we use this a lot, the izzat ka sawal Izzat Allah ta'ala deta hai. Izzat comes from Allah, it does not come from any human being. So whether or not you think you can raise your seat and be more honored, doesn't work that way. Allah gives that honor. In fact, as a Muslim always done in this, you know, the poem, Nawne Halane Jamaat, I may be, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says, Yaad rakhna ke kabhi bhi nahi paata izzat, yaar ki rah mein jab tak koi badnaam na ho. He said, nobody will get respect in the way of Allah. I'm sorry, nobody will attain any sort of respect unless they are defamed, disrespected in the way of Allah. They have to put their foot forward as if they're going to be attacked by everybody. And once they pass through that, if, you know, that kind of trial, then Allah respects them, Allah lifts them up, puts them in a certain pedestal. Now this brings us to the verse I recited in the beginning. Well, tanzu nafsu and look to what your soul sends forth for tomorrow. Basically, everything we do has an effect both on our bodies and our souls. What we do today will affect our tomorrow, both body and soul. So what choices are we making today? It's beautiful, all of you have come to the mosque today. There's a great vast majority of our dear brothers who may not have made it to the mosque today and may not have been to the mosque for quite some time. They may need that extra push from you and I. We could do some great, we do great goodness by encouraging them to come. But that's very small. Whenever we ask them, or when I ask members, why don't you come? You'll be surprised to find out. It's exactly in line with the short-term and long-term effects. Hazrat al-Muslim explained a story that was given to him by the first Khalifa. And the story is that a young man came in the mosque and hadn't come in a very long time. The moment he walked in, an elderly fellow turned to him and thinking of a short-term benefit, that this, I'm going to encourage this young man to come again. He said, Kidar ho, kyuni aaye, kahan se the, kahan the, this is that. And he starts, in a way, getting deeper into him and saying, harassing him almost. Saying, where have you been? I haven't seen you. Why has it been so long? Where have you been? Just keep going after. 
Now he did it with good intention though. Don't think that he had this negative intention to push this guy out. His intention was good. But what was the result? The short-term benefit, he felt at ease. I encouraged the Khadim today to keep coming to the mosque. He probably went home and was very happy with himself. But what was the end result? The end result was that kid never came back. Ever. The long-term benefit did not exist. So we have to think about that in every sphere of our lives, especially spirituality. What we are doing today, how will it affect ourselves in the long term? The last aspect is about prayers. And I know that sometimes we also indulge in prayers in a reactive way. In a short-term, quick, reactionary way. I'll give you an example. Even this, this world we live in, they always have a prayer vigil. But when does a prayer vigil happen? Before the incident or after the incident? After, always after. So it's a reactive instance of prayer. It's like, let's, let's pray for this family and thank God and all these other things after the fact. Uh, we are in fact, we're the only you know, spiritual community in the world that understands prayer is a proactive measure. You have to do it beforehand. I, went, I visited Seattle this last weekend and they had set up a brand new gym, you know, to exercise gym. And uh, as we started you know, doing pull-ups and whatnot and bench presses and stuff, um, the joke was that, you know, this guy who's doing this, his bench press, he should get a six-pack immediately. And I said, yeah, this is exactly how they look at the spiritual world. Somebody will wake up one morning and say, I prayed Fajr today, why didn't Allah listen to my istikhara? You know? It's the same way, you're not getting a six-pack after a single day, you're also not going to get a prayer accepted after one prayer. It's a long-term effect. And so, the proactiveness is that we should keep praying. A lot of young people will come to me, but Rabbi Sahib, I prayed this last whole month. Yeah, one month is great, no doubt. If you work out for a month, what results will you see? How long do you think you have to pray? It's just like how long would you have to work out? Or any, any exercise, physical exercise. Because we know that Allah Almighty does everything or has created this universe in a way that functions gradually. If a couple gets married today, they will not have a baby tomorrow. Legally speaking at least. They will not have a baby tomorrow. Because Allah know, Allah has created this system where it will, the baby will be born gradually. It will take at least nine months. And that is exactly what we are trying to explain here. That prayer should also be beforehand. Anybody who thinks that we should pray when something happens bad, or when we need money, or when we need situations, it doesn't work that way. In fact, many of our elders here, you can ask them. They will tell you one thing that I also believe is true. That a lot of the successes that they're, they're, they're experiencing is because of their parents' prayers many, many years ago. It's an interesting and odd way of looking at it. What do you mean your parents' prayers? What about your prayers? What are you doing today? And you'll realize that a lot of the prayers you do today will affect your tomorrow. They're not affecting the now. So it's important for you to take the lead when you are young. This is what the Hadith say, the Holy Prophet Muhammad said. Those who are young, who connect with Allah, they're ahead of the game. And so this is the takeaway message today. That as we are starting and we are continuing with this idea of thinking about the long term, thinking about the next life, knowing that we want to enjoy the next life in this very life, we have to start now. Let's start with prayers. Let's start with focusing on the goodness and making sure that we stay away from those bad habits 
that will affect and deteriorate and even destroy our soul. May Allah help us to do so. Inshallah.